Hello and welcome to Square Hole, the podcast that explores neurodiversity, employment and the creative industries. I'm your host, Sazie Cliverture. Ruth Ellen Dankwa is delivery lead at consultancy and recruitment firm Exceptional Individuals. We spoke to Ruth Ellen about finding your voice, belonging, hiring processes at Exceptional Individuals, understanding the changing language, coaching, pay, interview skills, building confidence in individuals to work well with others, and the benefits of having a truly diverse team. Hi, my name's Ruth Ellen Dankwa. Um, I am a delivery lead at the organization called Exceptional Individuals. And basically what that means is I deliver coaching, I deliver um, assess- workplace needs assessments, and I also deliver training, which is probably the best part of my job to be able to talk to an audience um, one-to-many. Um, apart from that, I've been in the industry for about 12, 15 years. My son, who's 21 now, has autism uh, as well. And I myself am neurodivergent. I'm dyslexic, dyspraxic, have co-occurring autism and ADHD as well. Um, And I used to run a network called Dyslexic Success back in the day, where I would invite people to kind of share from the stage their genius um, and tell us how they got to that stage in their life. And so others could learn from them, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants type thing. Um, and then I've kind of run a few initiatives as well that are neurodivergent based um, that have helped many other people to kind of level up as well. Fantastic. And first things first, nobody can see you because this is obviously an audio, uh, an audio medium. But I'm just going to say to the audience, there is no way that Ruth Ellen has a 21 year old son for a start because I'm looking at the at her face unbelievable um so you've already touched on it a little bit about your connection to neurodiversity both you and your son are neurodivergent so have you ever felt that you needed to behave differently to be employable um so yeah in terms of just being able <clears throat> I have a tendency to kind of rabbit on and I've had to learn over like going to like things like Toastmasters and other sort of personal development things how to kind of hold my tongue and to articulate myself in a way um in a professional manner and to put a certain voice on because I'm from southeast London and so um I've definitely felt that there's some has been some masking in the past more than anything and that masking has meant that I've seen things heard things and had to not punch people um in order to continue (laughs) interacting with them for example I used to get commissioned from different business schools around the world and one of the commissions I got was to work with this um, engineering company and this wasn't like 1980 or anything this was like 2019 right and they said things like oh you don't have to um paint your hand black because you're already black (gasps) oh I'm eating chocolate it's just like you (gasps) this is a person at a level in their organization where they're leading thousands upon thousands of people and they're speaking to me like this as this is a joke type thing um and so would you call it a microaggression or a major aggression? I don't know. I Whatever. A major aggression. That's not a macro, that's not a microaggression. And so like obviously 
as a neurodivergent person and as a black woman, mm. there's an intersection there about in, in you're nodding and smiling just so everybody knows. Um, People see my blackness before they see my, before right. they even try to figure out my neurodiversity, my neurodivergence, right? right? They won't give me the benefit of the doubt. They'll make their assumptions. There'll be lots of biases. And then I might explain about my neurodivergence and they might say, oh, interesting. But still, I come back to the, the fetishization of me as the black woman and my stereotypes and how aggressive I appear. Like one time a colleague said that I'm aggressive. I said, huh? He said, I said, don't you mean passionate? As in like trying to give him some safe space. Sure. Said, no, no, no. Aggressive. This is when I'm presenting. And I'm like, telling me I'm aggressive because I'm passionate about something. You, you call it aggressive. Would you ever talk to your white counterpart and tell them they're aggressive? You wouldn't. The way I present myself in my office and it might not be how I present myself at home with my friends. And I wonder if my white colleagues have to do the same thing. But then so that's a level of masking that sort of is natural Mm. for me. And I think for a lot of other black people working in the UK. But then with your neurodivergence on top of that, is there is that another level of masking that you're having to do? And how exhausting is that for you? Oh my gosh, I get so tired sometimes. I'm sure. <laughs> so so yes, yeah, so I, I definitely feel I've learned to use the word adaptability, right? Yes. Because I feel like that for me doesn't trigger me in a sense of having to remind myself this is the space I'm in. So I just, mm. you know, say, well, I'm adapting. I guess it becomes maladaptive and, and, and harmful when I'm constantly trying to identify who I am right and I've I've lost myself because I've become this chameleon so much so that I don't even know what I like what I don't like and I have to always kind of checking with my values just so that I'm in alignment with those because there's times when I'm like this is really uncomfortable Mm. and there's no psychological safety in this particular space for me to share um how I'm feeling right now without being called overdramatic or other things like that and so I could digress about you know the whole intersectionality of it all and it's it definitely is a challenge I I was talking about this um I was talking about neurodivergency and being neurodivergent and you know all of this stuff back in 2012 when people wasn't really bothered about it but as soon as maybe another person from a different background started talking about it I saw lots of different ways people were acting around them, you know, sponsoring them, hearing them, seeing them, valuing them. And if it wasn't for the movement of a person has died because of their skin colour, I feel that my voice still wouldn't have been heard to this day. I'm just going to let that hang for a second because I think it's, it's really important and it's really sad. It's really sad. It's really sad. And and it's not that I hadn't considered the intersection of, you know, of neurodiversity with blackness. And of course, with woman with with womanhood, because I've also been reading it quite a bit about how women, uh, neurodivergent women are diagnosed later, that neurodivergent women present differently and young girls present differently to young boys. And so then their diagnosis tend to be ignored and also and it's just whew. and add on the, the layers of the institutions like the you know NHS that fail to recognize our pain and there's been studies that have shown that if a black woman goes and says hey I'm in pain this is my struggle they get ignored there's actual stats out there that have shown that there are um, and so the fact that that 
that is kind of not acknowledged and it's almost like oh yeah it's so true it's so sad isn't it it's almost like okay what are we going to do about it now what are we going to do about it yeah and rather than so sad like how are you going to be our sponsor to talk us up when we're not in the room and to be there that person forget like mentor forget like advocacy ad- ad- allies and stuff be our sponsor speak about us when we're not in the room because sometimes we might even be invited to the the party but we still don't have a voice Oh, Ruth Ellen. <laughs> I feel like these are things that we could talk about for ages. And uh, I'm sure that as soon as I stop recording, we absolutely will. But you talked about sponsorship and you talked about being advocates and you talked about being in the room. And I feel, you know, as I've done a research, I've done a bit of research, a bit of reading around exceptional individuals. And it feels like that's what the the, the business exists to do. And um and so I'm going to ask you about, you know, the, the positives, the, the steps forward, the yes. things that are changing, because absolutely. Good Lord. Uh- <laughs> there are there are loads of things changing, but, you know, we've got to be realistic about it as well, because there, right. there, there are some amazing companies working with us that are doing the work. Right. But the reality of the fact is there could always be more. And so we shouldn't be necessarily patting them on the back saying well done for taking the sleep because some people some people still believe that you know it's the right thing to do and that's that's all but there is a clear return on investment for doing it as well so if we're talking from a business perspective the work that people are doing in these spaces are helping everyone to thrive not just the people that are neurodivergent quite right so how does exceptional individuals work for you as a neurodivergent employee and how diverse is your hiring process? It's a big question. It's and we're going to justify all of the, um, I think it's about those reasonable adjustments, about best practice. Um, it's about knowing that not everyone interviews, um, shows their interview skills in the best light. And so giving people different options to go for vacancies, right? And changing the language within our job description. So it's not about things that we don't need, not some throwaway terms that just look good in there job description and also looking at not just the the general hey these are the people that we know in our circle um it's more so like widening the net and making these vacancies available to people that people wouldn't give unfortunately a second look to Mm. because they 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 have these assumptions already Um, so for us it's all about hey we need to walk that talk right so the inclusiveness starts from the beginning part even before like using our sort of social media and everything else and the way we actually call in the right people um, throughout the whole process. So there is uh, that hand-holding element as well. In terms of how we've even helped people get into work, um, coaching on, hey, interview skills, but not the interview skills are like, oh yeah, eye contact, because we know that that, that <laughs> in itself, so we some more so about the person believing in themselves. I remember coaching a particular candidate, an amazing guy, fantastic at what he did. But being able to articulate that and advocate for himself, that was the challenge. So coaching him through understanding the way he speaks to himself impacts the way he views the world and how he's able to interact with others. Um, and then when he went through, you know, the whole our coaching process, he didn't even finish it, but he still got the job because he was able to have the ability to articulate himself and his worth, his actual worth, like no job can give you your worth but he was able to articulate 
this is what I bring. This is why it's important. This is how I do it. Without the anxiety, without the doubts creeping in, because he had the different level of belief in himself. And he said he was he never felt so accepted before he went into our space and before he had the coaching. His feedback was, I felt so accepted and seen and heard. So that's why we do what we do. We, we want people to feel like they belong because they do. You touched on it earlier. What are the benefits of actually having a truly diverse workforce? Okay, so, 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 so again, big question and I'm probably not going to be able to justify them. Oh, no, no, no. We have big <laughs> questions here and, and, you know, we're speaking to a lot of people. So we're getting a lot of your big answers. Yeah. So it's um, actually really I'm, useful. I'm going to try and break it down. So Break it down for me. In terms of organisations, is there enough diverse teams? No. And I think there's this myth that if you have a person that is black on your team or a person that is Asian on your team or even just a woman on your team, you're diverse. <laughs> just, a, just a woman. <laughs> yes, just a woman. Doesn't, doesn't matter. It's like, I mean, I've seen stats about diversity and it's mentioned how many women we've got on our team. And I'm like, good for you um but it, it, you know exactly <laughs> right I think you know the, the order has to be equity inclusion diversity and obviously that spells eed so most people do equity diversion and inclusion oh why I wonder <laughs> so but um I guess the benefit I know the benefits is is having a rich source of thinkers that don't think the same being able to get people in the room that will look at it from all these different angles so that you're not missing out on and making massive mistakes that cost cost businesses lots of money I remember when I was um, a sales rep years ago for a company called um, Expedia and I generated 115 million pounds in new business sales in in less than like a year and a half of a bit and And the reason why I was able to do that is because I brought something different that some of their other reps couldn't, right? One of my bosses back in the day was was amazing at doing that. Didn't know that I was neurodivergent because I only found that when I was in my 30s. Um, But having the space to see somebody and say, actually, I see you. I'm going to give you the resources you need to shine. What, you want to work from home? Done. You want to get somebody to help you with this? Done. It, It was almost like I couldn't ask for any more. And that's what every employer should be doing for every single employee. They shouldn't be thinking, you need a label in order to get the help because we should be delabeling people. I truly believe that labels for jars are not for people anyway. And the label helps you to get the support you need, but it shouldn't define you. And the fact that everyone's like making plans, oh, this is your autism plan. I heard that the other day, somebody said to another employee, this is your autism plan. And she's like, actually, actually, I'm, I've got courage because they go, what? We have to create a new plan for you. And then, like, rather than just having a conversation with that individual employee and saying, what can we do for you? Rather than saying, based on another, maybe another autistic employee that we've had in the past or based on reading Google. Yes. <laughs> decided this is what works. I read a book, really so I'm going to write some recommendations for you. That's based Fabulous. on. Yeah. So <laughs> there is, you know, there's, there's great return on investment from having a diverse team to bottom line. Um, I've able to be in a room with people and still feel like I'm learning something. Right. Mm-hmm. I, the, if you're in spaces where you're not feeling challenged, you're not feeling, not getting enlightenment, 
you're in spaces that are too same same and if you're in those same same spaces then what are you really doing you're you're really not adding as much value as you could because when it comes to it's down to it this is about what's that next level for you and if you're always on that same level you're, you're coasting you know you are and you've got a team that's coasting and you're happy with that okay so obviously you know that this podcast is focused on uh, neurodiversity in the creative industries and creative arenas. And mm. um, what kind of creative jobs have you had experience of helping people who come to exceptional individuals in like in the past? So how have you how have you coached? How have you helped? How have you workshopped people who are looking to work in our industries? So it's a combination of things, and again, it's it's person focused, centered focus, right? So generally people that I the way my style is to be very visual with them and you know share my screen my jam board giving away my secrets here but my jam board and take them through (laughs) what's ever in their mind and just give it to them so they can see it out there in plain view I'm here to pull out the genius of what they've got inside them right not to necessarily tell them this is who you are this is what you do um so there's been people that have had their own businesses in sort of they make um, screen. I know like when you go to church and you have like glass things. Oh, stained glass. Yeah, that's the one. Stained glass work stuff where that person knows how to make it. And so that person was teaching classes on how to do that. And they had a bit of a struggle because it was a bit like, you know, I'm not really um, that motivated to do anything else but this, right? And And mm. so it was very challenging for them to to stick to something else that was outside of that. So we said, okay, let's look at that. Let's look at what you can do. What what resources do you have that you can tap into that will amplify your visibility? What will help you to um, gain the money you need? I mean, how much money is that that you actually need just to live? Let's be realistic here. Um, Let's make sure that we're not trying to undersell ourselves as well and having to scrimp and save. Um, What if you was to look at your life in 12 months time? how would it be different to now so you know general coaching questions mm. simple things but most of the time the biggest takeaway people are getting are, is that space and reflection that's not not judgmental to be able to really talk because oftentimes they are the wisest people in the room but they're not listening to themselves because somebody's put in their head that they're not the wisest person in the room. and so they're sitting there listening to other people tell them about how their life isn't as great as it should be and then they're starting to buy into it. Mm. Like they've they've become the recipient in a popcorn in you know in a cinema eating popcorn, watching a life dwindle away because somebody's told them they're not essentially good enough, which is rubbish. Um, and so I give them the space to be able to to remember who they are more than anything. And I think that's that's probably the most powerful gift I can give them to remember who they are. See. I don't know how anybody could not be motivated listening to you. You know, that's been your calling. And you've given us some examples of your successes where you have been supported in in the right way. Not particularly because you said that you didn't say to your manager, uh, you know, you didn't know you're back. You didn't have that diagnosis then. And you didn't know that you um, that you were a neurodivergent person. But your manager still saw you as an individual and helped you supported you to do the best work that you can do you draw upon these examples and and things that have happened to you in your life when you're coaching I know that you said that you are individual you know you're focused on the individual but do you use your own experiences to to help others yeah I think my lived experience helps them I could whenever they're they're feeling like 
I'm the only one experienced this. I think to normalize the unfortunate truth that, hey, I haven't gone through exactly what you've gone through, but there is something I could bring to this to share with you that I've been partly there and this is this is what's happened for me. And this is how I've overcome that. And then I'm, I'll maybe share a framework that I've made up for them that helps them to move forward. And it stops people thinking that there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. The biggest lie society has ever told us is that there is something wrong with you. Why can't you be like everyone else? The biggest lie, right? And so we're sitting there thinking, why can't I just behave like that? Why can't I be like that person? Why haven't I got that success that they've got? And we're constantly going after these things that society has told us we should have even the word should should be dismissed right quite right I agree a hundred percent and so you know talking about these um lived experiences how important it is and how how rich it is when you are speaking to clients um, and trying to coach clients through to remind them that they're not on their own and that there's nothing wrong with them what specific barriers do you keep hearing about and and you know and that you may have experienced or some of your colleagues may what keeps coming up oh, <laughs> oh i can tell you Let's Lord, uh, you're, about, asking, <laughs> you're asking the question how about you give me five rethelling okay just five let me just try to and then we'll put, the, we'll put the next five to 95 on <laughs> patreon how about okay. that <laughs> okay so in validation okay People have um, the barriers that they keep and coming up with that I see time and time again is that what they say to others or what they say about their experience, people coming along and saying, yeah, but I'm dyslexic too. Or I feel, I think I'm a bit dyslexic. or I think I'm a bit ADHD too. Everyone goes through that. Or what is it? Yeah, but isn't everyone on the spectrum? Uh, Or what are other things like? Oh, um, no, I think you're making it up. I think you're exaggerating. I think you can do that. Lots of lots of <laughs> gaslighting mm. going on. Lots of lots of invalidation. Not even like if you know if if they've had an experience and they they feel sad about it, not being able to allow that sadness to to go through their body, but somebody saying to them actually, you're not allowed to feel that way, because I've done that before and not you know, I've come through that. I mean, I had a boss that was dyslexic. She didn't have, she didn't do her own education, right? So she told me she's dyslexic and I should be able to handle certain things because she's handled it as well. And I'm like, um, okay, Barbara. And, you know, it, it's, it's almost Same like, you, Barbara. <laughs> it's, it's almost like, are you serious? I truly believe that when people don't feel validated in what they say and how they're feeling, they go out in the world kind of bleeding over people that didn't even cut them right because they've got this they've got this belief that everyone else is going to be like that so I might as well just not share and there's a lot of unlearning to be done after that so that's one right Mm -hmm. validation um definitely there's some things around which I kind of leads on to doubt right people doubt themselves they doubt their ability they doubt what they do they've learned so much coping strategies that they're they're saying well you know this is standard they don't brag about themselves they you'll hardly see them talking about their accomplishments they'll be like yeah but everyone could do that they've been told so many times that their stuff that they do is so is so insignificant that they're almost believing it and saying well the amazing things that I can do everyone could do that it's like are you serious have you seen yourself look in the mirror look like do that due diligence on yourself and and so 
I think those are just a few. I mean, other ones that come up as well. Let me see what else. It's um, that I don't deserve it. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve good things because like, especially when they're in the way in the world of work, my boss has been so good to me. They've allowed me to get access to work. Babes, that's standard. That's the minimum. <laughs> that's li- literally the minimum they could do, yeah. right? Yeah, but they've given me enough time. They've given me, it's like you're almost, the crumbs are, they're feeding you, you're saying, why thank you? Because they've given you so little that the little piece they're giving you, you're like, thank you so much. I'm yeah. so grateful. Yeah. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with being grateful, but I'm, but knowing your rights, knowing what you are due, standing up for yourself, being that advocate and saying, actually, this is my, this is the baseline. This is the basic. Um, another thing that comes up is probably around not feeling very confident. And it kind of, they all feed into each other, right? Yes. You almost have this cycle that just keeps going around. You see a, your, your self-concept, concept of self is just not strong. So you, it makes you doubt yourself, makes you believe other people above yourself, makes you think that your work's not good enough, makes you feel like you're not good enough. And so it just goes round and round. And um, it's just a generation of breaking cycles. And so understanding how to break those cycles and what that looks like for you is important. And doing the undoing is important. Do you find that any of these are like, you know, is, is, are there any specific ways that the creative industries are failing uh, neurodivergent people in terms of getting roles? And then once they're in those roles, how they're supported to do their best work? Hmm. So there's a few different, things going on I think it's a sustainability issue okay. um, many people that are in the creative sector they're doing these projects they're getting um, commissioned right um, mm-hmm. a lot of the times and oftentimes what's helpful for one person might not be helpful for another but I, I just if I was going to give anyone a kind of a tip it would be to have a, um, a rider list a list of things that are going to be helpful for you right that mm you know, how you need things by certain deadlines or how you need to have discussions about certain things because um, maybe having those discussions via email is not going to be enough for you to be able to really ascertain what has been asked. Maybe you need those bullet points, but maybe you also need a conversation. So um, I think there are things that are not being set up probably correctly in terms of helping the person gain sustainability more than anything. And and what sustainability looks like is obviously different for everyone, but the baseline of that, the fact that I've, I know people in the creative industry that are going from project to project, wondering if that's going to be their last meal type thing. Yeah. And that is so stressful. Must, um, yeah. And unfortunately, it's not their fault. It's almost like the way the system's set up. It's like the general way the, the employment is set up is like the creative sector really rides on these contracts these one-off things and and obviously you do a good job you're going to get more but the gaps in between them are huge and because you're working in different teams as well there's going to be some maybe conflict management challenges coming up of how you do things Um, and so learning how to articulate yourself in a way that you feel seen and heard um, and repeating that until you do feel seen and heard is probably key as well um, but I definitely feel there should be some better frameworks for people in terms of even when they're self-employed, like tax thing and helping them with those elements of the world, because I think those ones are, are 
huge barriers to people's sustainability and getting the right support system in place for that as well as key. What you touched on there about freelancers having to advocate for themselves, but it must be so difficult because a lot of that freelance world is, do you know this person? Mm. Did, did this person like you? Then they'll book you for something else. And there must be such a fear for people who need to advocate for themselves. Actually, well, this is how, it, how I do my best work. If you just have a five minute conversation with me as well as giving me a brief, or, you know, as you said, or you just, you know, setting up things properly, giving yourself an access rider right at the beginning. So everybody knows what's expected. Mm. I can't imagine how much more stressful and difficult that is to do when you are moving on from project to project, from commissioner to commissioner, from business to business, all who work differently. Like, yeah, I mean, I used to do it. I did it. I tried to do the hustle for like four years plus. And I felt it. It was it was that feast and famine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but you also get the great payoff of having the freedom. Yes. The fact that you work on this project and the people weren't as great as they could have been. You're like, thank goodness this one's over. <laughs> uh, you know, so there's, there's great payoffs to it. But I think generally that there could just be a bit more support for the industry, right? It shouldn't yeah. have to be, you know, I know a friend of a friend who, who can get you this. Because that is based on, right, again, there's some biases in that. I know a friend who knows a friend. You might not be the best person, but this friend or a friend owes me. And and so I think there's definitely some work to be done. But I think the payoff you get from having the freedom and you're not having to deal with toxic behavior in some senses with other people, um, you know, when you do get commissioned for certain things, it just does pay off. I mean, I... I'm freelancing at the same time of working too. And um, one of the projects that I get to do is um, help black disabled people um, in the workplace outside of my main nine to five, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, there's some exciting stuff out there, but it's almost like, okay, how do I amplify that? How do I make sure that I've got that going on more so? Um, So there's definitely great, great things there I think it's always going to be about the network though when it comes to the freelancing life creative life because it's about who you know not necessarily what you know but you're walking the walk and I'm I'm so impressed honestly inspirational but you're inspiring me um to really think about you know I'm not I don't hire anyone I'm not anybody's boss but you know it is down to all of us to create that inclusive culture where we where we sit where we work so all these conversations are really sort of forcing me to instead of just going yeah but I'm not a problem um actually think about how can I be a solution um so thank you um I've got a few more questions I know that we're running short on time but you've said so many interesting things that I can't just cut you off anywhere um but what does it mean to commission or hire a neurodivergent creative employee and um and are there any particular, I mean, we've sort of touched on it already, but um, are there any particular frustrations that you or your clients have had whilst looking for work? Mm. And how have you and exceptional individuals sort of found a route through to, to resolve these frustrations and issues? Um, let me see. Let me see. Um, so I guess with regards to the work and the frustrations let's start with the frustrations right mm-hmm. there are frustrations Always. with the application form system with the way that 
ambiguous questions that make it very challenging for those that are neurodivergent to sometimes answer in interviews, for people not having maybe their team, their people trained up on what it means to be neurodiverse friendly, just as a basic. Um, and so we create lots of different things that are helping people break through those barriers. So we have um, work with org big organizations like you know Universal Music, um, Man Group, Aviva. We've helped using audits to make sure that their sort of end-to-end -end talent funnel is more inclusive in the sense of those questions in a job um, application, um, the ways to actually apply for the job are varied. Um, being able to have videos about what the job will entail, even like a video to how to get to the interview in the first place. Um, being able to reduce maybe the panels, panel interviews because panel interviews can make a person real nervous um, as well with all so many eyes on them. So we, we have some good adjustments that we recommend to people we, we we find out where they're at what their gaps are and what could be better and then the, if it's for them to implement and for us to help guide them if that's what they need as well um, so there's loads of things that we definitely do um, that help to change things um, I think when people are in the job it's the processes right if there's no clear processes or the processes are funky um, and they need adjusting being able to voice that and then somebody to say okay we'll change that or you you can implement your own processes that work best for you that level of flexibility the able ability to come into work at different times and leave at different times because of the transport system and the way that it's overwhelming all those things those minimal things that don't cost you anything are really helpful and impactful and make massive changes one of the things that I'm introducing more of now that in my into the processes that I help with clients are performance aids things that help them to do their job more effectively these are really simple things like if they're having a team meeting and they're not even sure who's going to be on their team for projects having that one sheet with all the team members on there and um, their contact details their actual preferences of communication things that are going to um, links to the actual core projects and the tools they're using and meetings they might have every fortnight all of those things on one page is so helpful for people that yeah. have challenges looking for 20 different things because of the 20 different systems people are using that aren't centralized so again it's making people's lives easier and um, working with organizations not against them but hopefully they want to work with rather than not against because it's so stressful to implement changes in your everyday work right you get access to work or you just get workplace adjustments you're gonna have to change the way you do things right and that's a feat in itself change management has so much resistance to it but it's not necessarily the person who is getting that workplace needs assessment that needs to change it's the culture yeah and things that you mentioned there so like you know just the context sheet of everybody who's going to be in the meeting that's what businesses used to do it's funny that you know as we want to be more and more freewheeling and uh and social in our in in businesses that we're leaving behind stuff that helps everyone yeah and absolutely. that doesn't cost any money absolutely well, um 
we've sort of, I think we've talked about this already, but I'm just going to ask again, and I, and I think it's going to be a yes, but do you think that employers are in the majority neurotypical in their hiring practices and processes? And uh, whether, do you think there's any unconscious bias there? Rita? Yes, and yes, yes, <laughs> and yes, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um how does exceptional individuals as an organization try and like work against that i think our recruitment process is quite unique in itself in the fact that we um we know how challenging going to interviews can be how nerving they are and again people just don't always interview well not everybody um it's not their forte and at the end of the day when i look at job descriptions it doesn't say must interview well in order to do your mm. job well but yeah everyone's like you have to have the skill set of being able to be interviewed well in order to get the job even though that's nothing to do with the job it doesn't make any sense so um i think our processes are more so around okay can the, has the person got the characteristics um that we need not so not personality we're not looking for cultural fit we're looking for cultural add we want people to add value and by who they are right so we're looking at the characteristics we're looking at um not necessarily their skill set because sometimes you could some things are teachable right and if you you know there's certain things that are in their character that will make them a much more viable candidate than anyone else um and especially like how maybe they spend their time and what they do outside of and what they're really passionate about um, one of the ways we also help with the recruitment piece is um, sometimes people apply just by putting their name and maybe their interests in the role. We then give them a call, let them know more about the role, especially if it's one of our internal partners, and we prep them before we work on their CV and to help them to apply in that way. We we put them forward as a recommendation and we say this person's good sometimes we push back and say they'll say oh no we we we, we had a conversation with them but we just thought it wasn't right i know people in, it, in our organization that have said actually no you're wrong L look again this person's ideal type thing um so we're we're advocating for these people we're, we're saying actually cv we're helping you do but actually this is more about you as an individual and believing that you deserve to get this job as well so we're holding their hands through the process um, and we're advocating for them when they're not in the room being their sponsor being their ally allowing them to um to get the jobs that ordinarily have these massive barriers in them yeah. we kind of reduce the whole application form of things there's lots of um again it, it kind of goes back to that freelance thing about who do you know there's if I if there's a, um, vacancies, we we like to, we have a whole bunch of volunteers that we have as coaches as well, um, and so we work within that as well. And if there's any like projects coming up, and we already know people to work great, and we also um, you know have these vacancies, we say, do you know anyone in your own network that could be help could be good? So there's no none of this, um, and it's that's stretched to everybody. It's not just like I know sometimes in certain organisations some of these uncles friend. And that's it. You you know you don't really hear nothing else because it's quite a nepotism type thing. No comment. <laughs> you, you know, no uh, cousin John, who has no sense, has got <laughs> a job and he's above you, and he's he's bossing you around. And he has no clue. And you didn't have a chance to apply for that job, or nobody had a chat with you about whether you wanted to uh, yeah or anything. Yeah, no comment. Yeah, yeah um, okay. Anyway, I get I get frustrated because this is obviously not happening everywhere. And no, it's not. Uh, yeah, I can just 
but the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it, the more we have conversations, yes. and the yes. more podcasts like yourself, like organizations like yourself, elevate this conversation to a different level. This is the goal. So, um, so thank you for taking part. And we've kind of come to the end now. But so what we want to know from you is where can people find you? Where can people find exceptional individuals? How can people support you? Anything you want to plug? Anything? This is yeah. So it, exceptional individual has like so many great resources on the website. So you'll be able to take a characteristics test, um, spiky profile test to see how spiky you are. What's what's your real strengths here? What are some of the challenges? <clears throat> if you need to get um, access to work um, support, then we'll actually do you take you through the application process as well. Paperwork might not be your strong point and that's okay. We'll take you through the majority of that paperwork for you. Um, we'll do assessments, we'll, we'll um, deliver the training. There's obviously great coaches there as well. So there's great resources on the website and you can find out how to start whichever, wherever you are at in whatever journey. In terms of training, I would recommend awareness training, um, for your team that we deliver as well and also management training to help the managers understand how to best work with a neurodivergent team and to get the most out of everyone really um, and we I did a workshop on psychological safety the other day and I absolutely smashed it I'm gonna brag I smashed it and so <laughs> so because it's, it's such an important topic right being able just to say what you need to say not get that repercussions nobody saying excuse me can come to the office because of what you said and like being able to, to speak your truth and in a way that is going to amplify your voice um i think it's such an important topic so we we you know we do bespoke workshops as well but yeah so um my outside projects i've got loads but i'm redeveloping my website at the moment so coming soon um but yeah if you go onto EI's website, you'll probably find more information. I'm also on social media. EI is on social media um, as well. We've got quite a few different community groups too. And if you are interested in free coaching, they actually offer that at EI as well. They offer free, because we're a social enterprise, we give back from all the corporate partners we work with by providing free coaching to the community. So fabulous. That's exactly what we need. Thank you so much for joining us, Ruth Ellen. You've given me loads to think about and I'm going to be looking at my line manager and my department heads and everybody with a little side eye. But thank you so much. It's been, it's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Square Hole. On behalf of its creators, Lorna Allen and Janook Sarkar, we hope this episode has allowed you to consider some new pathways into your understanding of neurodiversity. We would really like to give a massive thank you to all of our interviewees for giving us their time and knowledge and talking to us about their experiences. We'd also like to extend our huge thanks to our funders at the RSA and to Zoe Law who helped fund the production of the podcast. A huge thank you to Ade Bambala and to Carrie Morrison for their editing a big thank you to Angus Wilson from Eames Music for arranging our music theme. Finally, thank you to you, all of our listeners, for joining us. We hope this helps you in some way on your journey. It has certainly helped us.